In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Darkness surrounds. It reigns supreme in a fallen world. God's word equates darkness to evil, wickedness, hopelessness. The darkness is blinding. Darkness leads to confusion. Humanity can't find their way. We are lost in the dark. The path is impossible to see. But when the light shines, it radiates brilliantly in the darkness. The light stands in stark contrast to the darkness. The light signifies hope, grace, truth, life. The blinders are taken off. Confusion subsides as clarity is found in seeing the truth, finding grace, discovering the straight and narrow path that leads to life. The darkness has no hold on the light as the light comes from God because he is God. Christ is the life and the light of men. Holy Father, we praise you, recognizing that Christ is the light and the life of men, Father. We come to you recognizing that we struggle daily in our lives in sin, Father. We thank you that you freed us from sin, Father, in a way that you allow us to walk in your spirit instead of the flesh. But yet we continue to struggle, Father. We thank you for your grace that continues to cover us. We thank you for John, for using John, Father, leading him by the power of your spirit to pen the gospel of John. We thank you for your truths that we find in your word. May we live by them. May they be our authority as you are our authority, Father. We thank you again, and it's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as a child, I must confess, I would become anxious when it was time to go to bed. And it wasn't so much I was worried about going to sleep or that I disliked my bed, but I was terrified of the dark. I just knew that when the lights went out, I was a goner, I was toast. I was afraid the thing under my bed or the monster in my closet was going to get me. Amen. Amen. And at first, I must admit, I found some solace because when I thought the monsters were going to get me, I would run to my parents' bedroom and let them protect me. But after 
they didn't get a good night's sleep a few times, they decided to ban me from their bedroom. So, I had to face the dark alone. I had to protect myself. And I did what any child would do, and I decided to create a force field that would protect me from all the monsters that were trying to get me in the dark. And of course, the force field was made of high-tech equipment like bed sheets, pillows, and many stuffed animals. But it seems my experience as a child was pretty common for a lot of us. But I also realized that the darkness has a way of causing us, even as grown-ups, to still feel a little uneasy, a little worried, a little anxious in the dark. In our study this morning, John contrasts light with darkness in a way that reveals that light is Christ and everything else outside of Christ is darkness. So this morning we're going to be in John 1, verses 4 through 13. So open your Bibles to John 1, verses 4 through 13 this morning. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. And it says this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So John starts and he says, Christ is life. Christ is not an add-on to life, nor is Christ some of our life. No, John says Christ is all of our life. He is our life. But what does it actually mean that Christ is life and that he's the light of men? Well, this leads to point number one. The light brings salvation. If you're taking notes, this is point number one. The light brings salvation. We're not talking about some ethereal, unexplained feeling of salvation, nor is salvation a certain formula that we deduce from Scripture. No, salvation is found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. It says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That means before Christ, we didn't have life. We were dead. Before the light, we were lost in darkness. We were physically alive, but spiritually dead. We were going our own way, headed further away from God before we trusted in Christ Jesus. So without Christ, there is no life. And there's no light. But with Christ, there's continual life and light for all of eternity. But John 1.5 goes on and says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here John draws our attention to the light, but also introduces us to the darkness as well. Not only do we see that the darkness is introduced, but it sounds like the darkness is the norm and the light pierces through the darkness. We get a picture of a candle burning bright in a dark room. The candle burns bright, but the darkness is all around it. The darkness surrounds the light. The darkness is the opposite of the light. The light is Christ, and the darkness is the world. 
The light is the love of God, while darkness is to love self. The light leads to walking in the Spirit, while the darkness leads to walking in the flesh. The light honors and serves others, while the darkness honors and serves its own appetites. The darkness is not only the opposite of light, but it is opposed to the light. It disdains the light. The darkness hates the light, the Scriptures tell us. The light reveals the depth of the darkness. And it shows the darkness for what it really is. We have clarity of what it is, the darkness, what is in the darkness when we have the light. When the light's exposing the darkness. Let me give a quick illustration here. In college, I was blessed to go to Uganda, Africa on a missions trip for six weeks. And we shadowed missionaries. And I had opportunities to preach and teach in local villages. And at the end of the trip, the highlight of the trip, I don't know exactly why this is the highlight, but it was the highlight of the trip. We were dropped off in the jungle and we stayed with a tribal group for the weekend. And the people I stayed with assigned a local guy to me. So he would go with me everywhere I went. So if I got lost in the jungle and a lion came out or a python, he was there to protect me. So he followed me around again everywhere I went, and even to the point that he stayed and slept in the same room with me, which is a little odd. And let me give you an idea of the house here. It wasn't actually a house, it was a mud hut. And the mud hut, let me just give you an idea of how big it was. I'm a towering 5'6". And with my shoes off, I'm actually 5'5 five, five and a half. But when I lay down in this room on the bed, I actually had to bend my legs to get and, and be able to lay in the bed. And then also, remember, I had a guy in there with me. My little buddy was protecting me in my own room. But also, the room... What they did for decoration is they put magazine pages all over the mud hut walls of my bedroom. So, it was time to go to bed. And it was dark. It was so dark, you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face at all. And I laid down in my bed. And I started to hear little noises all around me. And it sounded like little feet running all over the magazine papers all around me. It sounded like there was a lot of life going on in the dark. And I thought, great, great, this mud hut is infested with cockroaches. And I'm probably, because of all the, the pages against the mud, there's probably nests of cockroaches all over these walls. So I grabbed my flashlight and I turned it on. And to my horror, to my terror... It wasn't cockroaches at all. It was much worse than cockroaches. It was giant spiders. And I don't mean big spiders. I mean giant tarantula-sized spiders that I was dealing with. Well, I can tell you, I didn't get a, a lot of sleep that weekend at all. I was battling the spiders through the night. And my point is, the light exposed the dark, what was in the darkness. I didn't know there was giant spiders the size of rats lurking in the darkness. Until I turned on my flashlight. The light brought out what was hidden in the darkness. It, 
It isn't so much the light has to work at it either. The light just has to be turned on. The light just has to show up. And the darkness is exposed, which leads to point number two. The light exposes what is in the darkness. The light exposes what is in the darkness. John 3, 19 through 20 says this. And this is a judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. God's word is saying that naturally humanity loves the darkness and hates the light because their sinful deeds are exposed. They can't hide any longer. The ugliness of their sin is brought out into the open for everyone to see. We live in a society that lives in the darkness as they do not believe in sin any longer. It's out of date. It's out of style to believe in sin. So they've covered over sin and now call it many other things. Let's give some examples of what society considers normal that the light reveals as sinful. Society says a child's misbehavior is usually caused by things like ADD or ADHD, but the light reveals that a child's sinful heart is a source of their disobedience. Or society says addic- addictions are a disease, but light reveals that addictions come from the flesh, come from their sinful nature. Society says marital issues stem from communication problems, but the light reveals that most of the problems in a marriage come from not honoring and loving each other the way the Scriptures call us to, and not actually honoring and loving God Himself. Society says people-pleasers won't stand up for themselves because they're just too nice. But the light reveals that people-pleasers selfishly try to look good to others because they're focused on themselves instead of loving other people. Our society ignores, avoids, and runs from sin. Yet we can't as children of the light. We must call sin for what it is. It's clearly rebellion against God. Sin holds us in bondage. It is by the grace of God when our sin is revealed to us. When someone pulls us aside and talks to us about the sinful issues that we're struggling with. That's the grace of God because we can actually turn from it. We can repent from our sin then. The question is, what are ways we have been hiding in the dark as believers? What are sinful struggles that we haven't repented of this morning? Well, let's go back to our passage. We're still in John 1, verse 5, which says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word for overcome could also be overtake or seize. So what John is saying is that the darkness hates the light to the point that it wants to extinguish it. It wants to destroy the light, but it can't. The light is too strong for the darkness. Let me think about it. Can we think of a time when the darkness tried to extinguish, tried to destroy, tried to stamp out the light altogether? I can think of no better example than what the world did to Christ.
Christ was perfect in all his ways. His love was eternal. His mercy unfailing. His grace abounding. Yet the world hated him, despised him. The darkness rejected him, mistreated him, mocked him, beat him, and finally killed him. When people try to say that the world That people are basically good. That humanity naturally wants to do right, love people, help people, serve others. I would remind them of what the world did to Christ. The world used the most brutal way to torture and execute the Son of God. What more is there to say about our world? It is a dark place. Scripture tells us that Satan is the prince of this world. He has dominion over the world system. Yet the Bible says the darkness did not nor cannot overtake the light. The darkness has tried to dispel the light. Satan thought when he crucified Christ, he defeated God. He won the battle. But in reality, he destroyed himself. Satan was an instrument. He was a pawn of the sovereign Lord when he crucified Christ. Which leads to point number three. The light conquered the darkness. Point number three says the light conquered the darkness. We can have confidence. We can have assurance that darkness cannot overcome us if we are in Christ Jesus. Christ defeated Satan on the cross. We are now victors over the darkness. Amen? Do we recognize that darkness has been defeated let's move forward and we're now in verses 6 through 8 in John 1 John 1 verses 6 through 8 And, and, and this section sort of takes a turn because we're looking at the light and darkness and now John turns to John the Baptist the witness of Christ. And he says this, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John tells us that the prophet John the Baptist was sent by God. He wasn't the light. He wasn't the Savior. But he came to tell others of the light. He came to share light of Christ to a dark world. So we learn that we, like John, are witnesses of the light. The church is the mouthpiece of God. Messengers of Christ. Which leads to point number four. The light is spread through us. The light is spread through us. We are God's plan A. Which I say that facetiously because we are the only plan that God has. The church, us, we are God's messengers to a lost and dying world. The question is, how can we be faithful messengers of Christ? So let's look at four things we can draw from these scriptures about John the Baptist and how we are supposed to follow his example of being a faithful witness. Number one. The faithful messenger knows that he or she has been sent out by God. Verse 6, it says this, There was a man sent from God. It was God who guided John. He was here on mission for Christ. He was the one who led him. But then let's go to um, number 2. 
the faithful messenger recognizes that their purpose is to be a witness of the light. The faithful messenger recognizes that their purpose is to be a witness of the light. Uh, Verse 7 says this, He came as a witness. John says that John the Baptist actually came as a witness. Let's look at this. It says, John knew that he was called to be a witness to others about the light. But number three, the faithful messenger believes that God will use them as an instrument of transformation. Number three says, the faithful messenger believes that God will use them as an instrument of transformation. Let's look back at verse seven again to see that. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So John recognized that God ministered to others through him. As John shared the light, God, he knew God would open up their hearts and minds to hear and learn about Christ. Number four, the faithful messenger knows that Christ is the light, not themselves. The faithful messenger knows that Christ is the light, not themselves. Let's look at verse 8 to see that. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John witnessed for God's glory, not his own glory. John's passion was to share Christ. His passion wasn't to share his own agendas, but to highlight Christ, not himself. So my question is, how well are we being a witness, a light, an ambassador of Christ to a fallen world? How passionate are we about sharing our faith in Christ Jesus? Well, let's continue on. Let's move to John 1, verses 9 through 10. John 1, verses 9 through 10. And it says this. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Who was it that John said didn't recognize him when he came? John says the people he created, the people Christ created, those who were made in his own image, they were the ones that didn't recognize him as both Lord and Savior, John says. The light beamed in front of them, and they didn't notice him. It would be like staring into the sun without recognizing its brightness, its brilliance. But it gets worse. It gets worse. Because verse 11 says this, He, that is Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. John says Jesus was not just ignored by his creation, but it says that he was rejected by his own people, the Jews, the chosen people of God, those who had the word of God, who studied the Torah, who memorized the Torah, didn't recognize Jesus as Messiah, as the Old Testament passages pointed to Christ, they didn't notice that they focused on Christ. Instead of turning to Christ, praising Him, and repenting of their sins, they crucified Him. Which leads to point number five. The light is rejected by the darkness. Point number five says the light is rejected by the darkness. What do we learn from the fact that 
Christ was rejected again by his own people? Well, it shows again that people aren't naturally good, but just the very opposite, that they are evil, wicked, and sinful. I wonder if the light is being rejected today in our day, in our time. Is the light rejected today? Well, what does our society glorify? Sex, homosexuality, selfishness, pride, riches, lying, etc., right? What is bad is good. What is good is bad. What is wrong is right. What is right is wrong. Our society continues to test the patience of God as the light beams all around, as people ignore or just plainly reject Christ. I pray, as many of us have prayed for revival, and we hope it does come to land instead of the judgment of God, but it seems our nation continues to defy and rebel against God openly, defiantly. But we as believers are called not to live in fear, not to live in discouragement, not to be hopeless because we have a future in Christ. We have all the riches of heaven, it tells us. In Ephesians 1.3, it says this, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So Paul says we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have assurance. We have hope. We have a future. We have abundance in Christ Jesus. Amen? John Calvin says this, because he, we are united to Christ, we enjoy the same privileges, favor, and access to the Father as Christ does himself. But let's continue on in John 1, verse 12. And it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave to right to become children of God. John already said that the world in general didn't know Christ. His own people rejected him. But to all in the minority who believe in Christ will become children of God. Point number six says the light overcomes the darkness to those who believe. The light overcomes the darkness in those who believe. What does it mean to believe in Christ? I ask this question because we maybe have a wrong conclusion of this word belief here. We believe that the sun is going to come out. We believe that two plus two equals four. We believe a lot of things, but this belief is more than just mere mental assent. Scripture tells us that the demons believe in the book of James. We also have the demons in the Gospels knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that Jesus was the Christ. And demons aren't going to heaven. They're not going to be saved. They're not children of God. When John talks about belief, he's talking about trusting. Wholehearted dependence on Christ. In essence, it's biblical faith is what we're talking about. Let's reread again. Um, as John says this, John, John says those people who believe, who trust, who depend on Christ will become children of God. Well, let's go back to verse 12, and I'm going to also read verse 13. And it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
So people who turn to Christ, the first thing we see in verse 13 is that they're not children of God because they're born of blood, which this is referring to people born into certain families, have certain family heritages. That means like the Israelites, for example, they believe they were children of God because they were descendants of Abraham, right? But John goes on and says, we are not children of God because we are born of the will of the flesh either. The flesh is talking about our natural appetites as humans. That means people don't come to Christ through mere emotionalism. They don't come to Christ because of having a high emotion. As a church, we try to not play on people's emotions or feelings to get people to make a decision in Christ. We don't want that. We can be moved to tears. We can be full of good feelings. But in either case, it doesn't mean we're born of God. It just doesn't. We can watch this movie and have the same feelings. But finally, John says, we don't become children of God by being born of the will of man either. What John is saying, it's not by our own strength or our own will that we can become children of God. John says, we have to be born of God. Let's read through verse 13 again. Who are born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Which leads to point number seven. The Father draws us to the light. The Father draws us to the light. God has to be working on our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit to become children of God. Turning to Christ is a decision we must make. We must decide who will, if we will follow Christ or if we will go our own way. But the question is, do we make that decision alone? Do we turn to Christ in our own strength? We must know that under our decision to follow Christ is God working to have us trust Christ as well. When we turn to Christ, it is not in our own will alone, but the Holy Spirit is working on us as well. Amen? Let's look back at Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 5. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 5. It says this, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will Paul says God chose his children before the foundation of the earth, he predestined and adopted us. Why? Why? Was it because we chose him? No, it says because of the purposes of his will. How grateful, how blessed are we to be called children of God this morning, church? We've been chosen. We've been predestined. We've been adopted. And for what reason? But the eternal purposes of God. In conclusion, are we lights to a dark world this morning? Do we show up in Christ? Is there? Christ is revealed through us. Jesus says this, 
You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew five, fourteen through 16. Jesus says, lights just shine. Don't, we don't hide the light, but the, let the light out. Let it shine. Christ says the light is walking out God's word by our actions and our deeds and by what we're saying. How well are we, shi- are we shining the light of Christ to Marco Island this morning? How often are we letting the light shine when we are with our neighbors? How often are we letting our light shine when we're with our friends? How often are we letting Christ shine through us when we're with our spouse, with our families, with our church families? Let us live for Christ so that others will turn and live for Christ as well. May we proclaim Christ for the glory of God. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We recognize, Father, that we do live in a dark world and we recognize that Satan is trying to destroy anything that's good. We recognize that Satan is even trying to destroy your works here on Marco Island at the family church. But not only at the family church, but at any church that is walking in your word, Father, and depending on you. But Father, we thank you that you are much mightier. That Christ is beyond the darkness. We don't have dualism going on. We recognize that you are sovereign over all things. Even Satan, Father. We thank you that you are in control of all things. We ask, Father, that we walk in your holiness for your glory. But, oh, we are so thankful for your grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hence him we pray. Amen.